All right. Welcome to Spooky South Coast, the Nightmare on Elm Street edition. Tim Weisberg here, along with the son of a thousand maniacs, Matt Moniz, and the silent assassin, Matt Costa. I was trying to decide which one of you I was going to tag that with. But, uh, you know, Moniz usually wins out because he is the creepiest of all of us. Well, uh, we are here uh, to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And tonight, in particular, we're going to be talking about Freddy Krueger, the boogeyman myth. And uh, during the course of the show, we're going to be giving away prize packs and your chance to see the new Nightmare on Elm Street movie coming out this Friday. But we do have sneak preview tickets for you to see it on Thursday at 7 p.m. at the AMC Lowe's Boston Commons 19. That's uh, at 175 Tremont Street in Boston. It's Tremont here, but it's Tremont in Boston. And uh, so you'll get two passes, which are a nice big uh, cover, you know, the poster with, uh, it says Nightmare on Elm Street, Spooky South Coast, so that's really cool. You get that, you get a Freddy Krueger keychain, a Nightmare on Elm Street water bottle, and a t-shirt. All of that, just for listening to Spooky South Coast, if you're the right caller. We'll be giving them away during the course of the next hour, and then uh, maybe we'll even have a few extras we'll give away online as well. But, if you're gonna talk about Freddy Krueger, and you're going to talk about the boogeyman, you need to go to the guy who is both a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan and our go-to source when it comes to breaking down myths and legends. Uh, here with one of his patented Balzano breakdowns, you know him, you love him, it's Christopher Balzano. Good evening, Chris. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for stepping into our nightmare, which is trying to squeeze such a big program into about 45 minutes. Hey, thank you. No problem. You know, the unfortunate thing is that we're not going to have as many commercial breaks. We don't have the, op- the uh, opportunity for Costa to go crazy with the bumper music because when I think Nightmare on Elm Street, I think music. Everything from the uh, the great rap music of uh, the, uh, the Fresh Prince and, and the Fat Boys to a lot of the great songs that were in the movies. So hopefully you guys will be able to squeeze some of that stuff in. And, and Well, we'll certainly try. And if... If it wasn't for the fact that, you know, these original Nightmare on Elm Street movies came out in the 80s, in this decade of where things kind of got a little over the top and and a, a lot of media kind of cross-pollinated, I don't know if Freddy would have become uh, the character that he became in terms of the pop icon status. You know, he would have definitely been a great horror figure, but I don't think he would have become this pop icon that he became uh, in the later films. And I think that, you know, I'm not, you know, maybe we'll have a chance to get into this, but the, the direction that the movies took was drastically different, uh, from the, the, the first two to the, to the next, what, seven, or the next, you know, four or five of them. Um, so that he, he changed his personality, he kind of changed his focus, so he was almost, uh, in a lot of ways, seeking justice. Um, which, yes, you could say in the first two films, but really in those last ones, he was striking out against people, and especially against characters that we didn't really like. We didn't mind them dying. We liked them dying. And, and, that's... and the fun of those later movies was the, the first 20 minutes of the movie figuring out, okay, here's what he's going to do to get rid of this one, here's what he's going to do to get rid of that one. And so the, the, the focus of the movies changed a lot to, 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 to make him that icon, as well as kind of, the, like you were saying, the cross-pollination. Well, Robert England, the actor who portrayed Freddy Krueger and, and really breathed life in, into the idea of the boogeyman, uh, he often said in interviews that he saw Freddy Krueger as a personification of neglect, that a lot of these kids that he targeted in these films were children who felt neglect. Uh, they, you know, they, they were outsiders. Uh, they weren't loved by their parents. They were kind of ignored by their parents. Uh, you know, with uh, an entire 
movie was uh, people in a mental institution. So here's people who are neglected by society, by family, and almost being stalked by Freddy was like kind of giving into that neglect. And it's funny that you know we're we're studying in my my uh, English classes right now the what makes a tragic hero, um, and whereas we might not consider these these victims heroes in the traditional sense, they all share kind of one common factor. Um, their peak, their kids, who are fairly good, and in the right circumstance probably would have been good, but they have one tragic flaw. And the beauty of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is that in those characters, that tragic flaw kind of becomes who they are and what the personality is. And, of course, then, um, you know, both Wes Craven and Freddy take that kind of tragic flaw and turn it on its head, and they end up becoming victim of the very thing, very, very direct Shakespearean kind of uh, retribution on them. Well, but in a way, that's also kind of uh, indicative of the boogeyman itself. I mean, the boogeyman varies from culture to culture, country to country, and uh, it's usually basically uh, a, a metaphor for whatever a person fears the most. So, you know, I, I can tell you right now, and I've said this on the show before, I'm deathly afraid of bees. For some reason, I bees, hornets, wasps, I, I can't stand them. So, uh, you know, I was often plagued by nightmares when I was a kid of a giant bee, a giant hornet-type figure. And I think for everybody, it kind of appears differently. Uh what they did with Freddy Krueger is they took the idea of the boogeyman, but they gave it a consistent face and they gave it a consistent personality. Yeah, and, and then in a lot of ways, Freddy Krueger goes uh, against the traditional sense of a boogeyman, especially in those original films, because you know it's much more paying for the sins of the father and the mother as opposed to the, the, the children's flaw themselves. Usually the boogeyman in so many cultures, was used as a, you better not do that or the boogeyman's going to get you. Mm -hmm. And in those first films, it was more of, your parents better not do that or else the boogeyman's going to get you. So in that way, um, at least in the original kind of inception, those ones that were so much more terrifying than, than the later ones, uh, part of it was these kids had really done nothing wrong themselves. Of course, they were the neglect that they suffered was part of what the parents had done, and they were suffering for what the parents had done directly to him. Uh, and, and yet, you know, he, he still personifies so much of that traditional boogeyman spirit, no pun intended. Well, here's a, here's a little bit of a, a, a clip here about how Wes Craven came up with the idea of, of Freddy Krueger and how he was able to attack people through their dreams. Uh, he claimed that it came from several stories in the Los Angeles Times about a series of mysterious deaths. Uh, all the victims had reported recurring nightmares beforehand and subsequently died in their sleep. Uh, and additionally, Cra Craven's original script detailed Kruger as a child molester, which Craven said was the worst thing he could think of. But the decision was made instead to make Kruger a child murderer in order to avoid being accused of exploiting the spate of highly publicized child molestation, ca child molestation cases in California around the time the movie went into production. So uh, I, from what I understand in the new film uh, with Jackie Earl Haley from uh, Watchmen and, and uh, from that show, Human Target, you know, he, he's now portraying Freddy Krueger, and they've made it, the character now, he's a child molester. Uh, I guess they felt that there's been distance from this, from these cases, and instead of being a, a murderer as he was in the original film, now he's just a child molester, which, in a way, not that we want to say that, you know, a child molester is a, a, a person that doesn't deserve punishment. But it almost makes Freddy kind of a somewhat tragic figure to begin with because it's not this eye for an eye that we saw with the original character where you killed our kids, we killed you, 
you know, it, it's almost biblical in that sense. Now it's somebody who should have been punished by the court system and, and not suffered this fate. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because Chris, I wonder... Chris, defend child molesters. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hello, worked with child, I worked with child molesters for four years. So, um, No, actually, I'm going to take a, a different approach to that, which is I think if you asked, uh, if, you, if, you, if you pulled a thousand people and asked them and gave them multiple choice and they could pick more than one, crimes Freddie had committed... I think most of them implied, at least in their own mind, that there was molestation mm-hmm. there. Um, even if it wasn't said, he's, although in none of his things does he can overtly commit rape upon the teenagers as he's going through them, there's something very overtly sexual. There's, some, there's nothing creepier than kind of not only Freddy Krueger's tongue in a lot of those scenes and the, and the way that, that, uh, that England kind of made uh, these you know, sexual overtures to the females, but there's also this high you know, connection between... The, the the teenagers having sex and 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 then kind of getting some kind of retribution, which is you know classic Wes Craven to being his hat to to John Carpenter. But I think that a lot of people assumed that he had, and so it's it's, it's interesting that that you're telling me that now. Once again, another thing tonight that you've told me about Nightmare on Elm Street that I didn't know, which is you know that it was intentionally left out of there. Well, is for those who don't know, uh, Wes Craven was on board for I believe the first three films. And then it was turned over to other directors and, and kind of other visions uh, later on. And then Wes Craven came back uh, for the new Nightmare film, which kind of did exactly what we're talking about here. It made Freddy not so much this physical manifestation anymore as it was this spirit, this entity, this embodiment of our fears. And you know, even before uh, he went kind of behind the scenes with fear – when he made fear, I mean, he, he used that same approach to the movie within a movie type situation. Uh, and we got to see where the character, what the basis of the character was. Uh, when you were younger, Chris, and you're around our age, so, well, not Moniz, he's, he's a lot older than us, a lot older than <laughs> us. But, uh, you know, when you were younger, did you make that connection in your head that Freddy Krueger was really just the boogeyman? Um. <laughs> It, the funny thing is, is that, I mean, I saw Freddy Krueger, you know, and, and you're probably the same way. I grew up in a very weird time. Like, parents maybe didn't fully understand the impact that these movies were having on mm-hmm. children. So um, I, saw the, I saw the first two movies in the drive-in theater where it was, you know, Fox and the Hound was the first movie, and then Nightmare on Elm Street. We were supposed to be asleep, and we were kind of hovering over the back seat, like, watching these things. And, and I always made the assumption that, that, that he was just unique to these people uh, back then. And then I kind of, by the time that I kind of really understood this whole boogeyman concept, he was too much of a hero in my life Yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to, um, to do it. So, I mean, I, I think that I specifically thought that he was a, a bad person who bad things, you know, he was doing bad things to get revenge. I, I never really made the boogeyman connection. See, the way I always viewed him is kind of exactly what you're saying, where... If I remember right, I don't think I saw one or two first. I think I came into no, I think I came into the series in two, um, and then we went back and watched the original. But to me, I always saw him as kind of just this smart ass. I don't take any crap from anybody, and I'm going to get my way. Uh, he was almost like an anti-hero that a lot of rebellious teenagers can identify with. Right, which I, which I think is, is why that there was such a connection and, and such a weird play between these people who. If it wasn't happening to them, probably would have been cheering him on, especially with the kind of flawed characters that were in there. 
He, he seemed like he was almost like the leader of whatever misfit group they belonged to. And, and there is, like, and I believe in the second one, they're kind of parting with him for a while. They kind of think what he's done is cool. I mean, in a very, like, quick way until they start to realize, no, he's going to kill all of you. I mean, I, I believe that he bursts out of something, if not the ground, and, and everyone starts cheering him on. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, he's going to kill us, um, which is always, you know, the first thing that ruins the party. The the evolution of the character that we saw in the films, uh, you know, where he went from being this sadistic child murderer to becoming almost a rock star, uh, it's interesting the twists and turns that it took along the way because uh, he always had, you know, a funny quip. He always had something funny to say after he killed somebody. And so as, as brutal or as gory as the scene might have been, there was always that comedic little twist at the end to kind of bring us back into the fact that, hey, it's just a movie. Uh, but th- when we got into the later films, especially when they started telling more of his backstory, uh, he became more of a sympathetic character. He almost felt bad for the guy and understood right. why he was lashing out. I, I wonder if uh, now that they've taken him to that extreme, and with, we know how Jackie Earl Haley portrays different characters uh, that, that he's played over the years, but they've got to go just as dark as possible now with the, with the new film and any new films that might come up out of it. I think so. I think I think, and I think that the new generation. Once again, I work with high school kids. Um, they haven't seen the fifth movie. You know what I'm saying? They haven't seen uh, the, the, a lot of the later ones. They kind of just know him as this figure, and they understand it much more on kind of a base level. This kind of this guy, this dude is really scary, and he kills people, which we think is kind of cool. But we're also freaked out to see the movie. And I think they're. I mean. Not that I would tell uh, Platinum Dunes how to remake horror films, because they've been doing it now for a few years with Amityville Horror and Friday the 13th. And uh, But what, what I think they need to do, though, is they need to not make make it, let's see if we can one-up each death in each movie. Uh, that was always what it always was. It was, let's see how we can do it this time to make it different. Uh, I, I think that, that actually kind of took away from things, and now you're just worried about seeing... You know, what's next? What's go- what, uh, He's already turned one girl into a cockroach. What's he going to do next time? Right, right. And I, and I think one of, the, one of the things that I would love to see them explore in a, in a maybe a less comedic way would be this concept that, you know, starting kind of from the second movie, there was always a, a, a person who was a catalyst for him, for his killing, uh, whether it was him trying to directly take over the person's body or whether someone being a link to the other people. In other words, now... You know, uh, I'm thinking of the fourth one where, you know, because of you, now I can reach the other people. There always was this kind of hint that, you know, this evil that I'm expressing is within you. It was in the people that killed me, the night that they killed me. They would have been great people with great golf games and games to charity and, and, and were on the PTA. But, you know, they had evil in their heart, just the way you have evil in your heart. And I'm kind of bringing that out in you. And so there was always this kind of play on... Is it the boogeyman or is it the evil all man? And I would love to see kind of them be able to bring that back. I'm not sure if they do in this film, but maybe if they, you know, start making you know sequels to, to these to these new movies, whether they kind of bring that back in and play with it a little bit. Well, as he said, you've got the body, I've got the brains. <laughs> there you go. But you know, let's take a step back here, and you know, we talked about uh, a little bit about Wes Craven when he was coming up with the idea uh, for the Freddy character. Uh, I know that uh, he had an experience with a, a very scary homeless man when he was younger, when he was about 11 years old, and he said that that's kind of where he got the idea for Freddy. Uh, then he heard the song Dreamweaver, 
when he was composing the idea for the movie, and that put into his mind the idea of being able to manipulate people's dreams and attack them in their dreams. So he had a lot of these influences that were consciously working on him. Uh, but I think there's a lot of subconscious stuff, too. Um, Robert Englund's always talked about when he does the voice, for example, uh, the, the certain tones and inflections that he decides to put on it is he tries to find the, the scariest word out of the delivery and, and give that the little tweak. Um, but going even further back, I mean, there are some basic mythologies and, and basic, uh, you know, character, broad characters that we're combining into Freddy Krueger here, whether it be consciously or subconsciously. You've done a lot of research uh, in various, let's say, uh, nighttime attacking spirits. Uh, what are some of the, the things that you see standing out in, in Freddy Krueger? Uh, I think that uh, one, of the, one of the scariest elements, if you go to the most bizarre or at least like the most, um, the ones that are in culture's consciousness much more kind of readily, like and so they've survived over time, the boogeyman takes a human-esque form. Um, you know, there are some cultures that have uh, worms, for example, these giant worms that kind of uh, can envelop you, or they have these, you know, bears or animal spirits, you know, or, the, or something that's kind of more um, outside of kind of what you know on an everyday basis. Um, but the ones that really kind of have, la- have lasted the test of time are very human. Uh, and yet, in some way, they're kind of changed. Uh, they're they're kind of, and it's a very classic demon mythology uh, to have. You know, the devil when he appears oftentimes has a human appearance, but something is different. Often clover hoops, and so you can tell him by that. Freddy Krueger kind of fits into that because he not only has this burnt face, he's a human, and yet looks monstrous. But there's also, of course, his, his famous claws, which are a classic kind of claws. Um, you know, Claus is an extension of the, like, imagine he was an animal, like there's something animalistic, something evil about him. And so those are the two of the things that kind of extend, you know, beyond when you start looking at the mythology. And, of course, when I say that, the first thing I think of is, is the, the Stephen King story, Boogeyman, which, you know, must predate this by at least five years, the original, where, you know, the Claus is kind of what the little kids keep saying every time the, do you know the story that I'm talking about, the, the Boogeyman oh, yeah. story? Mm-hmm where the kids keep saying claws. And, of course, the psychiatrist who's interviewing this man, or psychiatrist slash boogeyman who's interviewing the man, makes this connection. Is he saying claws, or are they saying closet? Um, and so, once again, there's that connection to the empty parts of your, uh, of your known area. In other words, this is a safe place for your bed, and yet, what the heck is in the closet when the lights go out? What's under the bed? What's right outside your window? Um, and so those kind of two elements that that the form that he takes and kind of where he comes from are both these really absolutely horrific um, experiences that are universal in humans. The... What's right outside that window? What's right outside that tent? Um, you know, when I think back to, uh, you know, there's a, there's a great boogeyman story for, um, for old slave stories that have to do with not to leave your... Um, not to leave your tent, because if you leave your tent, the boogeyman's going to get you. And I can't remember the name that they used, but it wasn't the boogeyman. Um, and it was born out of something very realistic, which was, if you were caught outside at night, you know, your owner, your slave master, or some slave, some other person could claim you and kidnap you and take you away. And oftentimes, they'll go in your tent and do it. And so it was this classic thing. Often those people carried weapons. 
oftentimes those weapons were very simple farmistic weapons such as hose and rakes and things like that. So once again, you had that like natural extension like a cloth. Well, I think a lot of people get confused a little bit with Freddy Krueger, especially if they haven't really paid attention to the films. But a lot of people, when I talk about it with them, they want to know where he came up with the claw from. Where did the claw come from? But uh, if I'm remembering the story right, the actual Fred Krueger was a, a, a janitor uh, for one of the schools, and that was a gardening glove that he used for trimming hedges and things like that, right? Um, yeah, which of, which, of course, once again, you know, was manipulated by the media, you know, first of all, in, in the, the classic Simpsons Treehouse of Terror episode where Willie is the, the Freddy character. And then, of course, once again, you know, a homage to a homage kind of thing you have in... in, uh, in um, What's the movie that I'm thinking of? I can't even. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I can't think of it. The one with, uh, you know, Kevin Williamson, directed by uh, John Carpenter, where um, um, the janitor actually is Freddy Krueger. You know the movie I'm talking about. Please help me out so I don't look like a silly fool. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're making the fourth one this year. Scream. Scream. There you go. Yeah, Thank that's you. Right. Yeah, that's right. He was in Scream. Scream, where the where the janitor in. You know, in the high school and scream is Freddy Krueger. So, yeah, that, that's definitely you know, and it's once again something normal, something everyday, yet twisted into something absolutely horrible. Well, if you want to join in the discussion, the numbers are five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Why don't we take a break, uh, a really quick break, and uh, two callers that call in during the commercial break? You are going to win a Nightmare on Elm Street prize pack. Water bottle, T-shirt, keychain, and two tickets to the sneak preview coming up this Thursday night in Boston at the AMC Boston Common Lowe's 19 Theater. Uh, again, one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Call in uh, the next two callers during the commercial break, and you'll be a winner. We'll be right back with more talking about Freddy Krueger and the Boogeyman with Chris Balzano here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And Chris Balzano is our guest tonight. We're talking about Freddy Krueger and the Boogeyman mythology. And uh, the new film comes out on Friday. It's the reboot of the franchise. And I I don't like using that word because it's being tossed around way too much uh, as franchise films uh, are kind of being remade and, and reintroduced to a new generation. They like to use that word reboot to say we're starting over and you know, we're going to make it different. And uh, so, but this is kind of definitely a reboot because they're taking a character that kind of went to the extreme and they're bringing it back to its basic essence. And Chris, we were talking about some of these boogeyman myths uh, from around the world and I pulled a few out here that I think kind of uh, uh, definitely tie into Freddy Krueger. Now, the word, this is a little bit of stuff that I found online, but the word boogie, or bogey, as some people pronounce it, is derived from the Middle English bogue or bug, also the origin of the word bug, uh, and it's generally thought to be similar to the German word uh, bogey or bogelman, 
uh, and there's other languages that have similar versions of it. In Southeast Asia, it's commonly referred to the, uh, the Buganese pirates, ruthless seafarers, uh, of Indonesia's third largest island, Sulawesi. Uh, these pirates often plagued early English or Dutch trading ships, so the, they were known as the boogeymen back in their country. Uh, but some of these different cultures, they all seem to relate to one basic idea that I found. The idea of a sack man, a man with a sack who will come and take you and, and put you in a sack and kidnap you. That seemed to be the general underlying common trait amongst all these. But here's just a few from a di- couple of different countries that tie into Freddy Krueger directly. Uh, in Brazil and Portugal, they have, uh, and I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, it's uh, Bicho Papayo, uh, which is... Papayo. Uh, Papao, it means eating beast, a bedtime nocturnal menace. So here you have the idea of somebody who comes to you while you're in bed. Uh, in Chile, they have uh, the old man with the bag who walks around the neighborhood every day at supper time, uh, and he is not recognized as uh, being a fantastical creature. He's believed to be a person, but he's supposedly an insane psychotic murderer that has somehow been accepted by society, which allows him to take a child that has been given to him willingly by disappointed parents or any child that's not home by sundown or supper time, which gets into what you were talking about, the idea of, you know, these these kids who are kind of turned away. Uh, in Egypt, uh, they have the man with the burnt leg. He didn't listen to his parents, so his leg got burnt, and he actually uh, dresses in black, uh, goes after creatures, uh, people at night, and will cook them and eat them. And finally, in Italy, they have uh, their boogeyman is portrayed as a tall man wearing a heavy black coat with a black hood or a hat that sometimes hides his face. So these are some of the similar traits to what we've seen in the characterization of Freddy Krueger. Uh, whether or not it was conscious or subconscious that they brought all these elements into the character, we can certainly see how it be- he became a universal figure. Right, and, and, and he does share so many of those different traits. And, and one of the, like I said, one of the underlining ones that originally he didn't is so many of it has to do with if you make a mistake, if you don't do what we, your parents, say, this is what's going to happen to you. And so it was a very effective tool for keeping kids in line because who the heck wants to be taken away by a man with a bag? It seems weird, though, that uh, all these different cultures would have that bag association with this. I mean, it's one thing when you're dealing with you know uh, a bunch of different European nations or, or different cultures where there was a lot of migration, but to have on completely different continents the idea of a bag man uh, show up, it, it seems a little bit weird that maybe there was such a creature at some point in time, some sort of uh, demonic entity or something that appeared in that form to, to multiple cultures. And of course, I don't have, <laughs> because in connection with this, we were doing some uh, some interpretation of dreams in class. I wish I had my my dream encyclopedia to find out exactly, you know, what the symbolism of hidden dreams is a back. You know, what, what exactly that kind of weight that carries in our subconscious and kind of our you know, our collective unconscious of, of why we fear these bags, especially a man with a bag. Because you usually think of, you know, someone with a bag as bringing something to you or at least taking something away you don't want. So it's kind of creepy to have it be someone who's going to take something that you really do want, which is, you know, a loved one. What about the Encyclopedia of Nightmares written by Jeff Belanger? Which you can get on SpookySouthCoast.com through our store. <laughs> well, you can order one through SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, which we recommend everybody does all their Amazon shopping through SpookySouthCoast.com. But uh, 
including Chris's fine works, including uh, the Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting and Picture Yourself Capturing Ghosts on Film, as well as Dark Woods, uh, Ghosts of the Bridgewater Triangle, and I'm missing one more, Chris. Two different now editions of uh, Ghostly Adventures. Ghostly Adventures, yes. There you go. Just now, just now been reissued as a, uh, as a Barnes & Noble discount book. Well, we're not going to put that one up on our Amazon because we don't want uh, we don't want to be selling it at a discount. We want Chris to get all the money he can for his okay, fine anyway, works. So don't buy it at all. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the when you go to see one of these films, though, I mean, the idea is to uh, revel in other people's fears, to to sit there and watch other people have to face their own fears. In a way, though, does it almost empower people to be able to face up to what it is that scares them? Well, I think the movies really show an evolution, even within movies, of people who get stronger as the movies go along, um, who become better at handling their fear and therefore kind of become a better adversary until you ultimately have the, the person at the end who fits kind of the archetype of the, of the horror movie, you know, the, 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 the sexless kind of righteous person who empowers themselves, usually a female, who kind of sets things right. So I think over the course of the movie... Um, People get better at handling their fears, which you know may give the message that you know you can get better at handling your fears. It's not an automatic thing, but when you get it right, you're kind of really in place. There's so many horror films that we grew up watching, especially our generation, where uh, it's we, we kind of came up, came of age in the slasher film generation, where you know to a lot of people our age, horror is simply a guy in a mask chasing after you with some sort of weapon. And we don't really look at the deeper meaning of a lot of these sometimes, but I think more than, even more than Michael Myers, even more than Jason Voorhees, I think Freddy Krueger is a, a, such a psychological scar on a lot of people. Uh, when I was growing up, I knew very few people who had nightmares about Chucky or Jason or Michael Myers, but it seems like everybody had a nightmare at one point in time about Freddy Krueger. And the, one of the odd things is, that, and of course, you know, Wes Craven had kind of explored this revenge movie, this revenge slasher, or at least revenge a lot of blood and guts concept with Last House on the Left, which of course also features Freddy Krueger, um, a different Freddy Krueger though. Um, but <laughs> I remember this really, you know, probably poorly written paper in college uh, called When Violence Was Fun. And I tracked 1984 as a year where the, the public really shifted their focus. Um, and so whereas pre-1984, and even in the beginnings of 1984, you had a lot of uh, media, a lot of uh, movies, a lot of television, where the violence was kind of fun. And it showed this kind of, it reflected this kind of, um, this acceptance that things were okay. The government had a handle on things. You know, it was a false kind of sense, but this thing where, you know, justice kind of ultimately prevailed. And then about 1984, that twist, and so even in, you know, you know, something like, you know, let's say L.A. Law, for example, which was really kind of harmless and things, you started to have clients who were taking, you know, things into their own hands and this kind of revenge and this kind of things are not okay. Uh, the government's really kind of out to get you. The government's not really going to help you. And so TV and movies kind of shifted their focus to this kind of people taking law into their own hands, revenge, uh, justice through the barrel of a gun. And I think when you combine that kind of things are not okay, people are not looking out for you, the world is darker than you think, um, and you connect that with this fear factor that we have of, uh, of this, these nighttime terrors, whether they're, um, whether they're uh, sleep paralysis, uh, like through the works of 
uh, soul smack and, and, and your worst nightmare, or whether it's just these absolutely horrific dreams that we have, which, of course, people have been played with throughout our history and we don't understand them, which is where a lot of this comes from. Um, you kind of had a combining of those things that gave really, really fertile ground for an idea like Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street to kind of flourish. What, what, what was your reasoning as to why violence became fun in that particular year? What, was there anything that you attributed it to directly? Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with, especially uh, leading up to the elections in 1984, a lot of uh, beginning to see the tarnish um, on Reagan and his administration. Um, ultimately, you know, the, the smoke and mirrors were maybe enough, and then the, the good feelings were enough to kind of override it, but people began to sense it. Uh, people began to see more, wait a minute, my life's not really like that. I'm not necessarily living in the great society. Okay, you know what, I'm going to trust that, that, that the ship's going to be righted and that we're on the right course, but there's there's this kind of, um, not even subconscious, but this kind of just below the surface feeling that things were not quite right. I wonder if it also has to do with the fact that you're finally starting to get a generation that might have been around 10 years old at the time, but you're starting to come into a, a new generation that hadn't grown up uh, in a time of war. Uh, because before that, you know, you had Vietnam, the Korean War, World War II. So you had a lot of these, um, at least in mass media, you had to be conscious of the fact that a lot of people had grown up surrounded by war and would not see violence as being something that could be fun. Right. And, and, and you know, who are the people who are affected by the violence in these movies? It's the younger generation. Sure. And, oh, of course, nobody ever told that to Sam Peckinpah, so... <laughs> All right, we have a call on the line. Let's take this call. Uh, good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Chris Balzano. How are you doing? Hey, good. It's Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, good. Um, same question I ask Chris every time he comes on the air. When are you coming up this way? <laughs> um, I know that I'm coming up in June. Um, I know that uh, I'm going to be on Spooky South Coast and in the studio. Uh, I'm not sure right now what my kind of speaking uh, engagement schedule is going to be like because I've got a ton of family that's uh, you know dying to, to get a piece of the Balzano family that weekend. So I'm not quite sure. You'll be the first person to know. Well, I want to know. After all, I'm going to bring all five books down. You're going to have me down sign all of my books. Well, uh, uh, I'm cold. You can't make me laugh. Well, uh, we'll have we'll have him here in the studio when he's up and. And yeah. we'll, we'll get them to sign your books before before or after the show. When's the next? Yeah, if you drop the out. books off to them, I would be happy to sign them and get them back. It might not be a person to person, but at least you'll get the uh, John Hancock on it. There you go. That's great. When's the next book coming out? Um, don't really know. I've got some things in the works right now. Uh, trying to avoid certain publishers and kind of get the attention of others. So probably not for at least another year. Oh, gotta wait that long. Okay. Uh, are you going to do anything up at the State Forest this year at all? Uh, all depends what I can handle. It's, it's, it's really kind of, uh, my life is really hectic right now, especially with, you know, uh, uh, you know, like trying to, to find new employment, uh, you know, to better my situation up here. So I'm not really sure when exactly I'll be able to, uh, to get to my, my home state and oh, you did, the area that I love so much. You did the mass transplant thing. Yes. You called Florida <laughs> up here. <laughs> well, I just hope everything works out and we get to see some more of you up here, uh, this time, you know, sometime this year. Thank you very much. I'm looking to get back as much as possible. Hopefully, uh, with some new things that are coming out, I'll be able to do that. All right. Thanks, okay. Linda. All righty. Okay. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Didn't mean to cut her off there. 
All right, so if you'd like to call in, we got about uh, seven or eight minutes left in the show. 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers. We're going to take a quick uh, one- or two-minute break. During that time, if you want to win a Nightmare on Elm Street prize pack, water bottle, T-shirt, keychain, and two tickets to the sneak preview this Thursday night in Boston, uh, be the first two callers to call in, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. I think we found the one rap song Moni's likes. <laughs> I'm your DJ now, Pritzy. All right, well, we have a call on the line here. Oh, now the phone lines are lighting up. These are people that want to win prize packs, I bet. Uh, all right, should we take them on the air, or should we go back in the discussion with Chris? All right, well, let's, let's, let's go to the phones. We never know what it could be all about. All right, go ahead. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, we are calling... Calling to win, or are you calling with a question, or? Yeah, I'm calling to win. Okay. Well, um, all right. Let me just get your name. Okay. What's your name? Nathan Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R. Okay. Well, why don't you uh, do me a favor, Nathan? We're gonna go off here at midnight. You call back, and I'll take down all the rest of your information. Okay. Okay. How you doing, you. Nathan? Hi. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Good evening, around Spooky South Coast. Uh, how you doing? I just cut the line off. Sorry. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Hey, Tim. How are you? Oh, we're spooktacular. You know that. I figured you were. Are you calling to share or are you calling to win? I want to win. All right. Well. <laughs> Do we... I get to win or um, am I too late? No, I don't see why not. Oh, cool. All right. Can we have your first name, please? Um, hmm. <laughs> you don't know my first name by now. Why don't you do me a favor, though? Call back uh, after the show and I'll get down all the information because I don't want have to have to make you give out private info on the air. Okay, sounds like a good plan. All right, thanks. Thanks, Jim. All right, bye-bye. Bye. I know. How can I? I was only kidding. I know who it is. All right, well, we are talking with Chris Balzano about the Freddy Krueger mythology, about the uh, the idea of the boogeyman. Uh, Chris, are you going to go out and see the new film? Are you kind of interested in seeing how they take this different take, or are you going to kind of wait and see what the public reaction is first? Oh, no, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I want to go out and see the films myself. Um, and the good thing is, is that you know, I can I can schedule a really late showing of it because my wife absolutely wants no part of it whatsoever. I'm not even allowed to like keep it on the TV when the commercials come on. So I know that I don't have to. You know, I, I know that I can probably negotiate. You know, having to see you know letters to Juliet or whatever, and then you know being able to stay for Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'm definitely going to go see it before, or at least ignore what other people say about it, just judge it myself. Because you have to. You know, I think that that's. One of the things about these new movies, they, they have to kind of be considered their own work of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, it will be compared to the original. It will be compared to the whole, you know, series of movies. And yet, you know, these movies, good or bad, are their own. You know, I, I just finally saw um, Rob Zombie's uh, Halloween, and it's a completely different work of art than, than the original Halloween films. And so I, I really want to kind of take it as that, and that and that guy is just so creepy. You know, I thought he was even creepy in in the, the Bad News Bears. So, <laughs> the, uh, the the good thing about uh, these new films is it does reintroduce the character uh, to a generation that might only see it as the the rock star, goofy, 
uh, wisecracking Freddy Krueger that we came to know. I mean, let's face it. When you start having your own talking pull string doll, as he had, uh, when you start having your own uh, Nintendo game, and when you start having your own 1-900-909-FRED phone line, then I guess, uh, you know, when you've reached that point, you're kind of, uh, you're less, you're less boogeyman and maybe more Jonas Brother. You don't even know how many times I actually called that 900 number. Oh, I uh, <laughs> ask my mom about that. Uh, there was a nine hundred dollar phone bill because of that. <laughs> and I and I remember there used to be a really good, not really Freddy show um, on at midnight yeah. on Saturdays, and I used to try my best to stay up late at night. And then and then they started moving it around, and all of a sudden it was on twelve thirty to one o'clock. And and I got I missed a lot of uh, of Sundays what was going on because I had stayed up late because I was such a consumer of everything Freddy. It really Oddly enough, the two greatest works of art for me as, like, kind of growing up being an artist were V and Nightmare on Elm Street, both of which Robert England had a kind of a part in, so. And both of which are, are back and uh, have a new, in, a new incantation for the modern audience. Yeah, you know what, because I think these things are touch these fears or touch these concerns we have that, you know, we still have. Guess what? We're, you know, this government still kind of can't be trusted. Guess what? Like, we're still having these horrible nightmares we can't explain. Boogeyman's still out there. Aliens are still going to come and eat our brains. So, is there just one final question regarding the whole idea of the boogeyman and, and Freddy Krueger? And knowing you the way that I do, is there one nightmarish fear that Freddy could plague you with? Well, you know what? <laughs> now things to my kids. Um, things happening to my kids, getting into a car accident is like my worst fear. Mm-hmm. Growing up, and oddly enough, this fits right in with what we were talking about with the kind of when it came out. My worst fear, I saw um, a joking, like a skit comedy show about 1984, the, the, the movie 19 or the book 1984, that whole concept. Mm-hmm. I had nightmares about the fear police, and so my fear was kind of, you're being turned on me, and I, I, there were many nights I woke up in a cold sweat. My parents didn't know what the heck. How do you deal with a kid who's, you know, scared of a George Orwell book? Um, but that kind of being my, my rights being taken away so much more than anything physical, I we used to be played like people locking me up because I had said something. That happened to me all the time when I was a kid. That's interesting really that you weird. say that because one of my biggest nightmares was, uh, speaking of George Orwell, was having to read Animal Farm in school again. <laughs> I just I didn't enjoy it. All right, but I always enjoy talking with you, Chris. Uh, we you're one of our favorite guests of all time. We love these Balzano breakdowns, in which you really take us inside a topic. And uh, let's let's do it again real soon. Hey, anytime you want me on, you know where I am. So, well, that's why we call you so much because we know you're listening. <laughs> Thank you. I, I love being on. Have a great night, guys. You too, and uh, enjoy the film. And we'll talk uh, once we both had a chance to see it. I'm sure. Very cool. All right, have a good night and. Uh, okay. Please, thank you for yesterday, by the way. I'm glad I was able to help you with that little problem. All right, man. Have one, a good one. One last Bye-bye. thing. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Later. <laughs> what a rush. <laughs> All right, there we go. That was, uh, was that hawk or animal? <laughs> that uh, does it for tonight's program, uh, but we do have some prize packs to give away. We have a few people that need to uh, call back and give their information, so we'll stay here for a few more minutes. We'll take some calls, see if we can give these away. A water bottle, a keychain, a T-shirt, and two tickets to the Thursday Night Sneak Preview. Thank you again so much to Platinum Dunes uh, for providing these prize packs and for letting our audience get a special sneak taste 
of the new Nightmare on Elm Street film. Go out and see it. Talk about it. Email us. Let us know what you think. Call in. Share it with us. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if uh, Freddy Krueger can take hold on a whole new generation. We'll be back, I believe, next week. Uh, I might not be here, but the show will be certainly here because uh, the Celtics are in the playoffs, so I don't know where I'm going to be. But Matt Moniz is ready and willing to step into the big chair whenever necessary. So we will be here to talk with you about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. All of our past episodes available on SpookySouthCoast.com and wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, again, if you want to donate, you can do so right on SpookySouthCoast.com to help the show keep going. You can also do that by shopping through our Spooky South Coast store, whether you buy one of the items we put up or another item through our store. It all helps out. It all keeps the show going. And uh, we're, we're going to need to start really... Uh, getting ready to start sending out investigators for our Bridgewater Triangle show coming up soon. So uh, stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll talk to you next week. Stay spectacular.